So, it's time for the sermon, right? This is the time where we have the sermon. Every, every time you come to Summit, after the usually second or third song, and, and we do the strategic concerns, it's sermon time. And I don't know how you approach sermon time when you're out there. I know how I approach sermon time when I'm up here. And I get to sit where you are probably more times than I'm up here. So it's, I experience both both uh, uh, of those experiences. When you're up here, it's a little bit more of a challenge. I just want to tell you that right now. It's always easier to be out where you are because you're evaluating, right? Am I engaging? How, how, how am I doing? Uh, how, how, how am I speaking? It, 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 and, and there are challenges that continue to, to confront anyone who speaks uh, in this way. Uh, preparation is a challenge. Sometimes I'm asked, how, how long did it take you to prepare that sermon, you know, I, I sort of wonder if that's just sort of a hidden critique of, of uh, you know, how long did it take you to cobble together those thoughts, buddy, right? You know, but that's a fair question. How long did it take you to prepare that sermon? And uh, my answer now, standard answer, is it took me 68 years to, to compose the sermon because that's how old I am. It's all the life experiences of who, who I am and, and, and where I have uh, gone and, and, and the things I hopefully have learned. So it's not just preparation. It's, and it's not just the challenge of saying something that will capture and hold your attention. Your minds will go elsewhere while I'm speaking. I, it's, that's the normal human reaction. You know, there, there be things said. Maybe you'll read something in the Word and your minds will go. Some of you are taking notes. I know I've taken notes. I confess sometimes. And the notes I'm taking is remember cold cuts from Publix after the service, right? Some of you might be writing that down now. So it's, it's, it's not always easy to... to to capture and hold your attention. But here's the ultimate challenge. The ultimate challenge for anyone who delivers a message is to deliver that message in a way that you'll be able to take it home and you'll be able to apply it. So here's, here's the goal. Here's the goal I would have as a communicator. If you could take one thought, one, that's all I'm asking. I don't, you don't need three. You don't need to memorize all the points. If you take one thought home, and then take that thought and turn it into application. That is a sermon success. So aren't you glad you came? You can make me a success tonight if you, if you just, if you just w would help me out with that. So outside of the Lord himself, I have to tell you, good speakers are a dime a dozen. You can go on your phone or your computer, and in 10 seconds, you can be listening to some of the finest communicators in the world. You can listen to their sermons. You can see them in their churches. There are some really, really good communicators. I listen to them all the time. Sometimes I wish I could be like them, right? So we're, 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 we're always bombarded with information, not just news, weather, sports, and entertainment, but really good messages, and sometimes I wonder, how do you really compete with that? But here's the continual encouragement I have at Summit. And that's the fact that you come to learn. You're here, I believe, because you want to learn. And not just learn, but you want to take what you learn and you want to live it out. You want to live out what you learn. Good speakers are a dime a dozen. Good listeners are priceless. And so when God calls me to sit out there with you and listen to a message, or when God calls me to, to preach, what he's calling me to do and what he's calling you to do, I believe from the bottom of my heart, is to listen with your whole being and to take what you've learned and apply it. Sermons don't change lives. 
the application and living out of truth does. So we're at the end of the greatest sermon ever given. We've, we've made it all the way through the last several weeks, the three months that we've, we've spent going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I hope you were here for most of it, it's, it's, uh, if not all of it. There are some great messages, I, I believe, that were given, and, uh, and it's all revolving around the greatest sermon ever preached. How could you lose by going through uh, all, all this material? Jesus explains and calls us into living as citizens of the kingdom of God. It's a great sermon, but one, uh, one that is meant to be lived out. Not just truth, but truth made alive. And it's the end of this great sermon that Jesus calls us to action. He does this by giving three vivid contrasts. and uses these examples to call us to decide, will you walk a broad path or a narrow path? Will you produce bad fruit or good fruit? Will you build on a bad foundation or a good foundation? So I'd like you to open your Bibles or pull your bulletins up or go to your your, your, your phones, your, app, your Bible app on your phones. I want to read Matthew 7, beginning with verse 13, and I want to read to the end of the chapter. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few Find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it did not fall, because it had not its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished these, saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of God. Three calls in the conclusion of this message. Jesus, after he gives this, these great principles and, and this, these great challenges, now he's, he's summing it up. And he does it and he calls us to respond in, in specific ways. And he uses three metaphors to do it. The first call to action involves 
a choosing of the narrow path. Choosing the narrow path. What Jesus is saying to do uh, is, is uh, what Jesus is saying has to do with where we end up in, in life. The broad path leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to life. So you've got a, a, a narrow gate and a broad gate. You, you've got a narrow path and a broad path. You've got life at the end. At the end of the other, you have destruction. Broad path. Broad path has the sense of something that's easily done, something that, that goes along with the crowd. There are a lot of people on this path. And, and Jesus says, there are few that find the narrow path. Many find the broad path. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in, in his autobiography, uh, talks about uh, his thinking uh, as he entered his teen years and, and, and how his, his whole thinking and his perspective of life changed. And, and he, he wrote these words in terms of how his mentality changed from, from more narrow thinking to this broad path thinking. He says, I, I, I was soon altering I believe to I feel. And oh, the relief of it. From the tyrannous noon of revelation I passed into the cool evening twilight of higher thought where there was nothing to be obeyed, nothing to be believed except what was either comforting or exciting. It's broad path thinking. And it's the, and it's the, it's the focus of a lot of our culture today. Whatever is fulfilling, whatever is exciting, that's, that's where we tend to go. That's where we tend to be led. But Jesus says do the opposite. He says, walk the narrow path. Have you ever walked a narrow path? Have you ever walked a path that, that, that was just really, really small? Uh, I visited Scotland uh, earlier this year with my son and son-in-law. We did a little tour of the, the highlands, and we uh, were able to see some beautiful scenery. We, we were at a, at a couple rivers. One was the Morriston River. The other was the River Dee. And the Morriston River runs into the, to the southern part of Loch Ness, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful spot. Our, our guide took us there, and he walked us through. We must have gone about 50 minutes through some forests. There was hardly any, no one around, really. But it was, when you got to the river, it, it, there was like a 30-foot drop down to the, this really fast-flowing fast uh, river. And, uh, and to, the, to the left was, was just a bunch of rocks, and there was this narrow path. And I was the oldest one in the group. My son and son-in-law, of course, much younger. Our guide was much younger. And I'm sort of the guy 30 yards behind just sort of walking along like this because it's a narrow path. I don't want to fall in the river. I don't want to get, you know, tripped up by the rocks on the other side, side of this path. I had to take deliberate steps. When you walk a narrow path, Jesus is calling you and me to take deliberate steps. You have to watch where you're stepping in order to stay safe. Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to live this out, if you're going to live kingdom life out, it's a narrow path. You're going to have to take deliberate steps. And you have to watch that so you, don't, you don't stray from this path. There, there, there are calls that we have as Christians. We're to be humble, but we are to be bold. We're to be loving, but we are to be truthful. We are to accept our salvation as a gift, but we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Those are all things taught in Scripture, and they're all to balance us out, but it is deliberate and narrow path that we need to walk. So Jesus is calling us to walk carefully. Consider the boundaries of this sermon. 
we're called to walk the path of those who are, remember the Beatitudes, the way he started? He, he's calling us back to this kind of kingdom living, what citizens of the kingdom of, of God are, are called to live out, to be poor in spirit, to mourn their own brokenness, people who are meek, people who hunger and thirst after righteousness, people who are merciful and peacemakers and pure in heart, people who, are, who, who will stand up and, and be willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Jesus brings us and all the listeners, not just on that hillside by the Sea of Galilee, but all the listeners through the centuries since then. He brings us back to the beginning. And he says, watch out for the dangers on either side of that path. On one side of that path, you have the, have the, the, the rocks of, of legalism that will trip you up, the, the rocks that says, hey, I'm better than you are. On the other side of this path, you have the, the, the deep ravine of licentiousness, the, 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 the side that says anything goes. Jesus says, no, it's a narrow path. So I think of scripture and I think of, of the, the men and women uh, in the Old Testament. I always think about Joseph when I think of someone who walked a narrow path. Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, sold into slavery by his brothers, taken to Egypt, worked as a, a servant in Potiphar's household and, and uh, was, it, uh, was seduced by Potiphar's wife, and, and uh, when that happened, he, he said, no, I, I, I will not succumb to this. How can I sin against God and, and my master? Joseph decided to walk a narrow path. And for that, he was put into, into prison for several years until God miraculously took him out of that situation and placed him in a high position of power. Narrow paths are deliberate, they're dangerous, and they're defining. What path are you walking? Are you taking deliberate steps? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, was a pastor in Germany during the, the years before and during World War II. And he was part of a movement that, that conspired against the Nazi regime uh, and he secretly plotted against it. He, he tried to, to uh, help its downfall, was discovered, imprisoned, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in, in the last years of his, his life, was imprisoned. And finally, in the, the last days of World War II, uh, his life was taken from him. Why? Because he decided to walk a narrow path. And in his book on discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes this statement. He says, when, when God calls a man or a woman, he bids him or her come and die. It's, it's walking a narrow path. Jesus is saying to you and to me, you got to take deliberate steps. That's the first thing. Then he says, call to action number two, we've got to produce good fruit. Got to produce good fruit. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So Jesus gives this warning about false prophets, people who claim to speak for God and proclaim his truth, but don't live up to the standards that they call others to. They mislead for their own personal gain. So what's fruit? What, what do we mean by fruit? fruit? Fruit is what's created when what you believe meets up with how you act. When you, what you believe meets up with how you act. So what kind, here's the question, what kind of fruit are you producing? When people look at your life, when they see your actions, when they see the, 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 the people that you encounter and, and they experience your life, what do they see? 
my wife will uh, regularly buy strawberries. These strawberries that come in this plastic, clear plastic container. And it's great to, to, to be in this country because there's always strawberries at Publix. I don't know where they get them, what country they come from, but there's always strawberries there. It's interesting. I guess it's strawberry time somewhere around the world and Publix finds out where they are. So we have these little boxes of strawberries and, and uh, she'll bring them back and, and uh, I, she'll say, hey, you want some strawberries tonight for dessert? I always want strawberries. And she'll cut them for me, you know, in half, you know. And she, she bought this box of strawberries. They were absolutely beautiful. They were perfect. None of these really goofy looking strawberries, you know, these things like that. They were all just these perfect little strawberries, beautiful red, cut them in half, put them in a bowl. I love half and half on it, put some half and half on it, sprinkled some sugar on because I just like it even sweeter. You know, you know what I'm saying? And I looked at that, it was a perfect, perfect bowl of strawberries. I'm telling you, it was, it just made my mouth water. And I remember putting the fork into the first one, putting it in my mouth and it tasted terrible. It was awful. It was bad fruit. Publix, I couldn't believe Publix has never done that to me before, right? It looks good on the outside. I said, Renee, what's wrong with these strawberries? He said, well, they're just bad, I guess. They look good. But the proof was in how they tasted. What kind of fruit really are you producing? What do people see when they look at your life? Fruit product production takes time. In your case and in my case, here's, here's the deal. It takes a lifetime. It's not just what you produced last year or, or, or a decade ago. What are you pr producing today? What, what, what fruit is God producing in your life? This is what Jesus is calling us to. One of our uh, newest employees here at Summit is our new youth pastor, Micah, and uh, he's this weekend preaching at uh, Lake Mary. And uh, we heard his sermon at, at Teach Team Wednesday afternoon. And I was listening to this 25-year-old young man give this sermon on this passage. And uh, I was thinking to myself, man, this is, this is really good. I'm looking at a, at, a, at a young man who's producing fruit in his life. It was really sweet to hear. He, he did a great job. And I was thinking, okay, here's this 25-year-old young man who's going to preach at, at uh, Lake Mary. And here's this 68-year-old man, me, who's going to preach here this weekend. Both producing fruit. But I'm still in the process of figuring out what it means to produce good fruit. Paul says this beautifully in, in 2 Timothy. It's the last letter that we have recorded that he, in terms of the end of his life in the New Testament. And this young pastor, he, he's giving him instruction and encouragement. And then he says at the end, he says, my life's being poured out like a drink offering. He says, I fought the good fight and finished the race. I, and then he says, I've kept the faith. And Paul is, is, is proclaiming to Timothy, it is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong journey to produce fruit. We're called to produce fruit our entire lives. Another person in the Old Testament I've always admired is Daniel. Daniel, who's taken into captivity in, in Babylon. He's, he's with his, his Hebrew brothers, and, and he decides as this young man, he's not going to eat the king's food. He's going to stay true to the dietary laws of, of his faith. And, and uh, 
he's proven to be not just successful, but exceptional as, as he's, he lives out his faith in terms of the, his responsibilities. He's promoted to, to, to one of the highest levels of administration in that kingdom. And he obviously made enemies politically along the way. They didn't like that he was there. So they go to Nebuchadnezzar and they say, look, here's, here's the deal. Here's this, or Darius is the king. And, and uh, King Darius, you've got you to understand this is, this is a, a law that we want to pass. We want people to just pray to you. We don't want them to pray to anyone else. And if they pray to anyone else and we catch them, you're going you're gonna to be in a play, uh, uh, committing them to throw, be thrown into the lion's den. And, and so King signs it. He says, well, that sounds like a good law to me. And then Daniel hears about the law. Daniel, three times a day, he prays, and they know he prays, and he opens his windows, and he prays toward Jerusalem. He knows what the edict is. And this man, at the end of his life, it would have been easy at the end of his life to just say, you know, I've, I've been pretty good. Let's keep the windows, let's keep the shutters closed today. Opens them up. And says, okay, I'm praying just like I've always prayed. Of course, they take him, they arrest him, they throw him in the lion's den. You know the story. God shuts the mouths of the lions. He's determined to produce fruit to the end of his days. I still have to produce fruit. And I realize even at my age, I'm, I'm one decision away from ruining the rest of my life. One decision of taking that fruit and putting it in a, in a way where it, where it just tastes bad. I don't want my fruit to be bad. Walk the narrow path, Jesus says, if you want to apply this sermon. Produce good fruit, fruit for a lifetime. The third thing he says, this call to action is, is build on the right foundation. Build on the right foundation. Everyone who hears these words of mine, and here's the statement. He puts them into practice. Puts them into practice. A couple of years ago, I was uh, preaching uh, at our campus in Lake Mary, and I got a call from OJ, our campus pastor, the day before, and he says, Jim, I don't, we're not going to be able to use our building tomorrow. I said, what? He said, yeah, this is really nice. Have you ever been up there? They have a really nice campus. It's, it's, it's a section of a bigger building. There's some, there are some offices in the other part of this building. It's a one-story building, but they've got a very nice, nice campus there, and he says, yeah, what, what happened was there's a sinkhole that's compromised the building. And uh, they have, they've posted on the doors of, of our church that we, they don't know if it's safe yet for us to be in this, this building. So we're, we don't know what to do. I'll get back to you. I'm going, okay. And he calls back about an hour later. He says, yeah, we're going to have the service outside. So we had the service in the parking lot. And I, I preached the two ser- services in the parking lot of, of, of our Lake Mary campus. Why? Because the foundation was bad in our building. No foundation, you know, that would be bad if like the whole congregation sort of went in, right? That would not be fun. You don't want bad foundations. We're back in the building and, and it's been deemed safe, but, but uh, it's, it, it was a lesson that wasn't lost on me. Jesus is very clear. Good foundation, the house stands. Bad foundation, the house is destroyed. And again, he says, everyone who hears these words, and here's the, here's the phrase, who puts them into practice. He says, I'm not just preaching a sermon here. 
I'm not just telling you great things. I want you to take them and I want you to live them out. I want you to put them into practice. And they contrast it. Everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice. You have, you have this contrast. Good foundation, bad foundation. So this isn't practice like a sports team practices. This is life in all its reality. My, my granddaughter, my oldest grandchild, Zoe, uh, plays on a, on a soccer team, and it's, it, and, and it's, a, it's a really great group of, of young girls. And, and I said, hey, Zoe, I was out in Seattle last year, and I said, you, you going to go to practice tonight? Said, she goes, Grandpa, our coach says it's not practice. It's training. We are training. So, okay, Zoe, got it. We're training. So this isn't just like, hey, let's get together and just sort of kick a ball around. We're moving somewhere. And Jesus isn't talking about just, hey, you know, just see if you want to put, put some of these things into motion. He's saying, train yourselves by that. Paul says in 2 Timothy that the word trains us in righteousness. Put them into practice. I, I have started taking tennis lessons. I've played tennis uh, for the last 15 years, really regularly, I've got a group of guys I play with. I've started taking tennis lessons. I'm 68, and I'm taking tennis lessons. You'd think I'd have it down by now, wouldn't you? Tennis, right? I found that, that it is really a, a, an instructive thing to, to, to take lessons again, to be in training to, to, make, to make my game better. I, I always thought my forehand was my best stroke, probably still is, but, but I found out that... that I was sitting an open forehand and, and, and my instructor says, take your arm over and turn your body and you get more power into your forehand. I did, I, I'm training myself to do that. My backhand, I, I, I slap my backhand. It's just sort of this. It's a little it's effective at times. But you know, the backhand, the arm has to be extended, knees bent, back like this, start up high, go low, like that. Keep your shoulder through the stroke. Aren't you glad you came? Why am I doing that? I want to train myself. I want to get better. I want to beat the guys I play, right? No, I just want to play better. I, I, I want to produce something that's, that's, that's good. I, I want to train. I can't improve on my own. I realize that. You can't either. We've got to have the power of God working in us as we apply these words in our life. I need to be challenged and exposed to the word. I'm reading a book uh, called Becoming Dallas Willard. It's a book uh, by Gary Moon. Dallas Willard was, was a professor at University of Southern California, a philosophy professor, very highly respected, but a very, very committed Christian as well. And if you read any of his books, the Divine Conspiracy, The Spirit of the Disciplines, and, and many other ones, you, you know that he was a deep thinker and he really had a grasp on, okay, how is it now that we're called to live the Christian life? And he very beautifully, in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, he takes this whole idea of Christian discipline, what we, what we are called to do as, as Christians, and he, he uses his, his pastor, uh, Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, and all the disciplines that Foster talks about, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of fasting, the dis discipline of meditation, the discipline of study, and, and, and the discipline of service, and submission, and simplicity, and solitude. 
And he takes those, and, he, and, and in his book, Spirit of the Discipline, he says, we take the Holy Spirit, and then we, we apply by doing the things that God has called us to do. You walk a narrow path. You don't, you don't guide along it. it. Jesus doesn't pick us up. We walk it. We produce fruit. We just don't stand there. We, we produce fruit. We, we build on a foundation that's solid. I don't know about you, but I want my house to last. I want it to last when the rains fall, when the floods come, when the wind blows. I want my house to last when the hurricanes of life come. I need to be continually putting into practice what Jesus has called me to do. And I want to read again how Jesus closes his sermon. This is the greatest sermon ever, ever preached. Listen to how he closes this sermon. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Amen. I don't know about you, but that's sort of a harsh way to end a sermon. But I think Jesus, Jesus ends the greatest sermon ever preached with the word crash. And I think he does it on purpose. And the people respond, they're amazed at his teaching. Because he doesn't teach like, he teaches with authority. But Jesus drops the mic, if that's, can be say that Jesus dropped a mic, at crash. He stops. These are serious words and a serious call and a call for you and for me to apply what he has said in the sermon. So how are you doing listening? What one thought do you have? And how will you apply it? When I, did, when I prepared this sermon, you know the thing that, that captured me like I don't think it's ever captured me quite so profoundly before. This whole idea of fruit produced over a lifetime. I'm thinking, I want my life to do that. And I began to, to pick apart, what, what are the things that I'm doing that are producing the fruit that I really want to remain, the good fruit? What's God calling you to do? What one thought do you have? And how will you put that into action? Jesus didn't come to make us feel good. He didn't come to fix everything. He does fix things. Yes, there's some great things that come, but Jesus came to give us life, spiritual life, a life that is a call to action. It's a narrow path. It's producing good fruit. And it's making the one who gave us life the foundation on which we build. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Lord, help us, again, not just to be hearers of your word, help us to be doers. And I pray that as we come to the table tonight, that we, will be, we would be reminded that you were the one who was called to action through your son. Jesus is the one who came for us. And he's the one who walked the narrow path. And he's the one who produced fruit that lasts for an eternity. And I pray that as we consider these words and we consider the foundation on which we build, that we will be men and women who will live out this truth 
all of our remaining days. I pray this in Christ's name, our Lord and Savior. Amen.